What a treat. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, God, there's lots going on in the world, if you haven't noticed, particularly in the United States, we've had a lot of excitement and drama and trauma in the last 24 hours. I think it probably begs the question that effective communication and constructively influencing people for good is a skill set we uh, we need more of in our society. So I am I couldn't be more pleased than to start this new year with the guests that I have available to you today. He he is Times Wall Street Journal bestseller. Uh, he is reviewed by Publishers Weekly as one of the the great communication gurus of our time. Uh, generally speaking, he's out there talking to students at Harvard University. He's been a journalist in his background. He's uh, been in the news media. He certainly understands the spoken word, the power of communication, and he has just put together a career that has helped us all become more effective in the way we approach communication. He's also a fellow Italian, which makes him okay in my book. Mama Michelli would say it's okay to hang out with Carmine Gallo. Carmine, it's so good to see you. Thanks for being here today. Giuseppe, nice to see you. Nice to see you, Joseph. And as Italians, we use our hands, which on, on virtual platforms sometimes get a little awkward, but. So I'll tell you right. what, I'll make sure if whenever you're talking, you'll have that much room to your oh, hands. Does that work Beautiful, good? thank you. Yeah, now good. I've got All my right. face. Yes. Yeah, exactly, you, you'll know, you, we, won't, we won't constrain you in, the, in any way. I'll talk about the, this. Thank you for that. Thank um, you for that. Boy nice very, thank you for that nice introduction. You know, you I, I, you, you, uh, Oh well, that's good. Uh, it'll soon it'll soon lower anytime I ask a question. So you just pick it back up for me. Let me let's start with um, this career of yours, right? I mean, you have the academic chops to get get this whole thing started, right? You've gone through and got the academic uh, scars needed, and then you went out in the industry and you had the high paying job, and then your wife says to you, "Hey, maybe you should write a book," and then the rest of us have gotten to know Carmine Gallo. Can you pick up the story for me? Sure, yes. It is good to be uh, connected to a very supportive uh, person. That's for sure, Vanessa, my wife. Uh, I started actually in television news. So I spent the first part of my career, 15 years in television news, broadcasting, television anchor, correspondent for business news, uh, CNN, New York, Wall Street, the whole bit. Uh, and I had a transformative moment, Joseph, where I realized when I was covering business news in New York that we always, the producers always went to the same people. They went back to the same talking heads every week. They were not the most experienced or maybe even the most expert in a particular field. They knew enough, but they were the best communicators. And so I began to transfer my skills to helping business leaders become more exceptional communicators, to speak in ways that are more compelling and clear and concise and interesting. And I was a journalist. I love writing. I love books, as you can see. In fact, a few of my favorites are from a guy named Joseph Michelli. So you can see those back there. But nice not job. a plant, by, just... by the way. Well, I think that was a really, that was a big suck up for you, but it works for me. So, you know, don't change your style, Carmine. Okay, um, all right. So let's, you know, I, I, we're going to talk books. Hold on. I can go through no, those no, no. cover to cover. If we're going to talk books, we're going to talk books. Let's kind of go back. I, I, I know you wrote many before the one I'm going to pop up on the screen, but quite frankly, it's where I first came to know you. And I thought the presentation secrets of Steve Jobs was like breakthrough for me. 
I mean, this guy obviously had magic. I mean, it was his ability to, you know, talk about whatever 10,000 songs in your pocket or whatever the way he would describe his product array. But, but you were probably the most thoughtful person to kind of dissect and analyze and understand the impact of Steve Jobs. Um, how did you get in your brain that you needed to kind of watch this guy and translate him for the rest of us? Well, I had been a, a fan of communication for, for many years. And communication, great public speakers, in my opinion, aren't just those historical figures that we always go to. They're the uh, business leaders and CEOs and entrepreneurs who surround us every day. And at that time, Steve Jobs, who, who was still alive, and give and he gave that 2007 iPhone presentation, which just knocked the socks off of people. And we remember him as being one of the great corporate presenters. And because I've got a background in writing, journalism, storytelling, I can identify what he was doing. He, we don't, we didn't call him a storyteller, but that's what he was doing. He was a great and exceptional corporate business storyteller. So I wanted to try to capture that, and I was connected with people who have worked with Apple, who worked directly side by side with Steve Jobs on his presentations, on his slides. I knew a lot about the subject, and so I decided that this this would be a good topic because I think everyone could learn to be a, a much better, more effective presenter than they are today. And, and so I wrote Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. I wrote uh, some other books on Apple and, and innovation. Then I started focusing on storytelling. You've got this one, Storyteller's Secret, which is just storytelling in business. I wrote another book called Talk Like Ted, which is just about the TED Talks and how you can adapt the, the kind of the TED formula to your own presentations. And uh, then uh, the the most recent one is called Five Stars, which is, thank you. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're like surrounded by five stars right now. That's 10 this stars. Is, there you go, five stars. This is more advanced. This is not a basic public speaking book. That will probably start from Talk Like TED. Five stars is for people who are already established or people, man, middle managers, aspiring leaders, they're comfortable public speaking, they've already been in the, in the workplace for a while, but now we're going to sharpen those skills and turn them up a notch. They're going to go from good or average to exceptional. You know, the reason I didn't pop this book up there, I think, is because you're in you're competing with me. Like I did the Zappos experience, I did the Starbucks yeah. experience. Now you've basically made it impossible for me to do the Apple experience because uh -huh. this book is brilliantly <laughs> written. Um, so suffice it to say that if you're kind of wanting to start out uh, in these conversations, you might want to start out somewhere in here. Um, you might want to go over to here. Uh, but if you're, if, you're, if you're in business and you're wanting to up your game in yeah. professional, you know, being influential in your speaking context, this might be where you want to be. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, I would prefer to, I, I think you should start with talk like Ted because that gives you some of the basics of presenting. Uh, but five stars is more advanced communication skills based on years of hearing from HR professionals and people in all sorts of different fields who, who were telling me that if you have more effective communication skills, if you can speak a little better than everybody else, that it will significantly elevate your career. 
So I talked to consultants like at McKinsey who had just graduated MBA school and who were rising fast throughout the consulting field. Who were they and what were they doing? Why is it that HR professionals in almost every survey say that communication skills are the most in demand skill and yet are also some of the hardest to find among young leaders or aspiring leaders? And yet I continue. Let me, let me, let me just let yeah, me go ahead in here because yeah. you know I think one I could of the, talk about the, this for hours. So sorry. Yeah, no, no. And the breakthrough, the breakthrough idea for me, I, I guess at some fundamental level, I hadn't appreciated how valuable ideas are, but that they in and of themselves don't get anywhere unless you can package them in a meaningful way. So I guess I would, I kind of like to kind of start there in this conversation yeah. kind of going with five stars as our, our template, if you will, for conversation sure. and, and really start to, to unpack the power of ideas, you know, in a world where we may not think of ideas as currency. Yeah, I love that. That's why I started five stars. The first part of this book uh, is a history lesson on how the most powerful movements of our time, in fact, the whole founding of America, kind of is based on people who were exceptional communicators, starting with writers like uh, like Thomas Paine. I've got a whole biography of Thomas Paine um, and, and, and Jefferson and all of the writing and how that stirred people's emotions. Words matter. Words trigger our emotions and trigger behavior. And so if you want to be a more effective leader in any space, you need to understand how the power, how words work on people, how they influence all of us, how we're emotional beings. All of us are emotional beings. We make decisions based on emotion. How do words affect our behavior and our emotions? So that to me is the fascinating science behind all of it, which is why all of my books have a little science and a little art. You know, one of the things I love, I absolutely love, is that balance of science. I mean, I think it's almost, it's exactly in keeping with some of the key principles of being influential, right? You have to appeal to kind of those, the audience members who want the data, you know, and they're looking yeah. for the decimal point. And then you have to kind of hit the people who are looking for the story and the so what of the data, if you will. Right. Um, let's let's kind of take this idea as currency thing and then take it to that next a level, which is you can have the best idea in the room, maybe, but you won't necessarily get anywhere unless you can figure out how to sell that idea. Can you talk a little bit about that, the, the notion that ideas need to be sold? Yeah, I've been watching this for 15, the last 15 years of my career. I hear this from people every single day, whether it's on LinkedIn or other social media sites or people who contact me directly or executives who I've worked with. To a person, they will say that they either got to the level that they're at or that in order to be promoted in a certain company, you need to be an exceptional communicator. They don't necessarily tell you that when you leave business school or you start a company. Uh, but at places like Cisco, uh, Amazon, I've worked with Amazon Web Services, many other companies, uh, they do tell me behind the scenes, if you are not an exceptional presenter, it's going to be a lot harder for you to get promoted and to get noticed and to get visible. So we are living in a time when our value is not locked up in on the farm as it was during the ag age. It's not locked up in the industrial factories as it was in, during the industrial age. 
our value is locked up in, in, in here, in, in our ideas. If you can't express your idea effectively, then you might be somewhat successful, but I don't think you'll be nearly as successful or influential as you otherwise could be. If you're just dropping in on the live stream, my guest is Carmine Gallo. If you have a question for Carmine, maybe you have a communication challenge or there's something you've observed about the power of selling ideas, feel free to join the chat. We'd love to acknowledge you and engage you in this conversation. So Carmine, at some point, I'm trying to use your approach here and get some data in. So I think sure. you said somewhere in, in one of your many books that about 75% of maybe my earning potential is linked to my communication effectiveness, that there's underlying messaging that, that you have that suggests that communication is not a soft skill. Um, yes. that's kind of a, uh, that's kind of an odd concept. So, um, uh, go I am, for it, man. Why is I it am really thought? glad you picked up on that. Okay. There is an economist at the university of Illinois, Chicago named Deidre McCloskey who writes these 800 page books. So they're, they're really dense, uh, but fascinating material. And she's a historian and an economist. She did this study that has been replicated in other countries that persuasion accounts for something like 40% of the total U.S. economy, persuasion. And there's a whole chapter in, it, in her book, so it kind of gets very detailed, but the point is that one person selling to another person or selling ideas, convincing other people. She calls it sweet talk, persuasion, sweet talk. But within certain fields, they can be law, uh, marketing, public relations, th then the uh, the percentage of your influence is more like 75. And then again, to be a larger percentage of our economy, one person selling another person on their ideas. Because again, like we just talked about, we're not on the farm anymore. It's a knowledge economy. So I thought that was a very fascinating concept that I've explored with her and I've written about. And I think that I first wrote about that in five stars. And that's why I think that this whole idea of your value as a business professional, once you can sort of meet the basic criteria, if you're recruit, if you're being interviewed for a technical position, obviously there's certain table stakes that you have to meet, but your ability to advance, to get noticed, to get visible, to push your ideas forward, to innovate in a big way all come down to how you communicate those ideas. And that's why I think we, we cannot over stress how important public speaking, presentation, and communication skills are. So my world, and we have so many weird you know, similarities. You went to UCLA, which I understand was a mistake, but I went to <laughs> USC. I ended up writing a book I, I about- I you were gonna bring that up, yes. I wrote a book about UCLA, so I guess it's all okay. I actually got oh, rejected. The UCLA, UCLA Medical UCLA. Center. UCLA uh, Medical Center, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I got rejected from UCLA, so that's why I still have hard feelings about the whole thing. Um, but, but one of the, in, in the Pac-12, uh, University of Arizona was Bob Cialdini for a while, and and now Bob, who wrote the book Influence, uh, mm -hmm. was very connected to one of my professors. And I think this whole understanding of so he's looking at kind of the psychosocial factors that cause people to be influential. A lot of your work is looking at how do you communicate to affect influence, right? And understanding both the, the neurology of the thing as well as the technique of communication. 
Yeah, I think that you cannot communicate effectively if you don't at least appreciate how the brain processes information, which is why I am a, a nerd out on neuroscience and psychology, anything that teaches us something about how the brain works. Because Joseph, you know this very well, uh, the tools that we use to communicate have changed. We weren't doing this you know, just a few years ago, just a year ago, we, we weren't Zooming as much as we are now. So the tools of communication have changed, but the human brain has not changed for 300,000 plus years. So if you communicate in a way that without understanding how the brain processes information, then you're not going to be nearly as effective. So for example, uh, one of my mentors from afar, I've, I've gotten to know him, uh, but he wasn't a, he was not an instructor of mine, but I've gotten to know him is John Medina at the University of Washington. So he wrote a book, I bet many of your viewers know, Brain Rules. So he and I have had extensive conversations over the last few years, and he taught me, for example, that the brain needs big picture before details. That in order for me to understand what you're talking about, you can't start in the middle. Okay, we call that the curse of knowledge, right? Where you know too much, so you start in the middle. Instead of giving me the big picture first, followed by the details. Now I can follow you and understand you. It's the same as when a newspaper has a headline. I need the headline first, followed by the details. That's why we have headlines. That's why we have book titles. That's why we have subtitles in each chapter. I need to see the big picture before the details. We don't do that when we open PowerPoint. Most of <laughs> us open a PowerPoint slide and just start filling in bullet points. So again, as long as you just understand some of the basics of how the brain wants to receive information, it'll make you a much more effective presenter. That's why I study so the neuroscience and the brain chemistry as much as I can. I don't, I don't claim to be an expert in it, but everything I write is based on the best science that we know of. It could change, but this is the best science we know. At this Which point. is really, again, one of the beauties of your writing is that it, it, is, it balances this linear along with the emotive, right? So we've already established that truth about you. We know we've also now talking about this cutting edge neuroscience of the science of influence, the science of, of brain response. And then you throw onto that the ancients, right? So now we're going to go back to Aristotle. We got cutting edge and we got Aristotle. Um, so let, let's, let's trace back many of the truths that have been eternal Yes. while the technologies that we communicate through have changed. And, and so I always think of you in terms of the oses, right? Like the logos and the ethos and the pathos. So uh, for those who are not Aristotelian, maybe you can uh, take us down this path a bit. Oh, you pronounce that so well. It's always hard for me to pronounce that. So I just go with Aristotle, really smart Greek philosopher. Uh, so he wrote that this is the uh, I'm glad you picked up on that, Joseph, because this is so cool that everything we talk about when it comes to persuasion or communication, uh, even if you're using PowerPoint or virtual meetings, because the brain hasn't changed, that you can trace it back to thousands of years, Aristotle some 3000 years ago, who wrote a lot of the things that we now know through science we're proving what Aristotle wrote 3,000, almost 3,000 years ago. And that is that in order for persuasion to occur, you have to have three things present. 
ethos, logos, pathos. Ethos is simple. Ethos is credibility. If you have no credibility for your character, it's going to be very hard for me to buy into your argument. You established my credibility, Joseph, early on in this interview when you talked about my books. Okay, check, credibility, he's got the ethos. Logos. Logos is the logical appeal to reason. The data, the information, uh, and the philosophical logical appeal. Uh, you have you have this problem. Uh, this solution will fix your problem. I have this solution. Therefore, my solution will fix your problem and make you happy. You know, just sort of a logical appeal to reason. But Aristotle, thousands of years ago, recognized that in the absence of what he called pathos, which is emotion, storytelling, and he talked a lot about storytelling back then, uh, that without stories, that would be impossible for me to affect or influence your opinion or change your mind or be persuasive. Well, now science is learning that without emotion, we cannot make decisions. Uh, and in fact, for much of the 20th century, scientists believed that people made decisions based on rational thought and facts and information. And it was only in the last you know, 50 years or, or, or less than that, actually, that we've started to realize that without emotion, you cannot make decisions. So all of this is one big package. You gotta have credibility with your audience. You have to uh, make a logical appeal to reason and you have to be emotional. Sometimes those things get a little out of whack. Sometimes there's too much emotion, too, too little facts. Sometimes there's too many facts and too little emotion, which makes for a really boring presentation. Got to have that whole package. Aristotle identified that thousands of years ago. He was a pretty I, smart guy. You know, you could, you all could be uh, trying, you could hear all this from Carmine Gallo if you just go to Harvard and let him lecture you there. Uh, we're fortunate for him to take the time with us today. Carmine Gallo, you can find out more about him at CarmineGallo.com. I want to make sure you're aware of that as we're in this conversation with him today. All right. So, the, the best of influence, the best of communication, it's been going on for forever. The story is an element, the logic is an element, the credibility of the speaker is an element, the emotional impact is an element. You know, it's interesting because I was reading an article recently that suggests that so much of our time is either spent listening or communicating through our the visual field, but a lot of it is through speaking. We spend a lot of time talking. Uh, you'd think for all that time talking, we'd become very effective, right? Like <laughs> it would become something that we evolve to be more and more organically effective. Yet hmm. I can tell you, having gone to, particularly in graduate school, there were times that my eyes glazed over with this intellect that was just bombing me with none of this. I mean, how is it that people don't get feedback from the universe that tells them, you got to up your game, kid. Yeah. You know, Joe, the, Joseph, the, the more I, I study psychology and behavioral psychology, which is a very important element of, of persuasion, you begin to realize that we, we do have very strong biases um, and those biases run much of the way we think. And so there is a bias um, it's actually called Dunning-Kruger, uh, but it's a bias where most people think they are more expert than in a particular topic than they really are. And I began to realize that early on in my broadcast television career, 
when I would try to give guests some tips, maybe some advice, those people who didn't want to hear it, who said, oh, I'm really good at this. I'm, I, I do this all the time. I'm really good at speaking. I'm good at interviews. They were inevitably, Joseph, the worst, the, the worst guests we had ever had. Whereas producers in my ear, I, rem I recall this, in my ear said, we, who invited this person on? Because they were so confusing, so convoluted. And yet the people who came to me for advice afterwards, hey, how did I do? They were more humble. How did I do? What could I do better in the next interview? They were already exceptional. And so so that, that's, that is when I started to realize that in, in a person's own head, we, we tend to think we're much better than, than we might be in a particular field. So when it comes to communication and presentation skills, you have to be a learn-it-all and not a know-it-all. You have to be humble enough to realize that great communicators are made. They're not born. Steve Jobs worked at it over many, many years. He rehearsed relentlessly. And actually, and even though Steve Jobs is not the type of person who we, we have a stereotype of, uh, you know, he was a real loner or someone who had his own brilliant ideas and didn't listen to anybody else. When it came to presentations, uh, and I think this also applied to many other aspects of his of, of building Apple, but he did listen to people. And when it came to presentations, he was constantly looking for feedback from his internal um, internal staff and from mentors. So great communicators are made. No one is is born with a PowerPoint clicker in their hand. It does take some work. It well, takes if you, work if you, and, and it if takes you take it on to that. I was just going to say, adding on to that, just looking yeah. at kind of the way you approach some of these conversations. I mean, you're reading books, you're watching these people, you're analyzing, you're studying the neuroscience behind it. I mean, it is an open-mindedness that gets you to the point of becoming an expert in a given field, right? And, and it's almost a testament to where you are. And, and if you weren't continuing to grow, you'd have one book in your, your hmm. armamentarium, right? As, as opposed to this kind of evolving understanding that people are are buying every couple of years or so. How, how frequently do you release a book and what's what's your process and when do you know it's time for another or that you've come to a new level of insight that you're capable of sharing? Yeah, Joseph, I only write books that I know will advance the conversation. Uh, and so sometimes uh, it's been, you know, maybe two years between books. Uh, other times it'll be just a little longer, but I, I need to find that subject matter or the new information that will really advance. I don't write business books as calling cards or as, as glorified calling cards to build up my own consulting firm. Uh, I write books because I want them to be read by people around the world and, and applied and used and to make them more effective. So I better have something new and substantial to add to the conversation. Uh, and, the, and so those are the type of ideas that either that will come to me or the, or they, I, I get those ideas because I keep a really open mind and I'm constantly curious and talking to authors and experts and business leaders and listening. Uh, what are your challenges? What are you learning? that I don't know. I tell, I ask authors that all the time, you know, what, what do you know that I don't know? Teach me something new. And so, and, and I'm a reader. So I read about 50 to 75 books a year. Um, and I try to absorb as much information as I can 
on this with always through a lens of like leadership and communication. So that's how I arrive at those topics. And I, yeah, you take this on in, in five stars, but underneath all of this, I think if you don't have a lot of these knowledge inputs and you haven't practiced it a lot, there is a fear that often makes it so you don't even venture out into that, that swimming pool, right? I mean, if I don't think that I have the skill set, I'm not particularly talented. I sometimes am reluctant to go and learn about those things because I don't feel an affinity to that. And then the not learning of it only kind of is a self-fulfilling prophecy. A lot of this is overcoming the fear of being an effective communicator. Isn't that right? One of the reasons why I do like to write about people who have improved their communication skills over time is because I think that that's a very common fear and anxiety that that most of us have when we're doing something new. And I have I have witnessed people who are at the top of their game in different companies or different industries who have a paralyzing fear, for example, of, of public speaking. And it's often because they don't, they just don't do it very often. They avoid it because they have that anxiety. And so what I, I like to tell people is that all of the great communicators who I have written about, and, and most of whom, the, the ones who I've met, were not naturally gifted public speakers. They worked at it. And one of my favorite stories is of Warren Buffett that I tell quite frequently. And a lot of your viewers probably already know the story. Uh, Warren Buffett was terrified of public speaking. And he signed up for a public speaking course because he realized that that was a skill that would advance his career. He was a stock, stockbroker at the time. And he dropped out of his first class because he was too afraid to go to a class on public speaking. And he, he retook the class. He paid $100. And in his office, and I saw this on a documentary, there's only one diploma that hangs in his own personal office. And that's his public speaking diploma because he says that's the most valuable diploma that he has, even over the business schools. Uh, but again, it's he's not the only one. You, you can speak about uh, uh, Richard Branson and... Uh, Barbara Corcoran on Shark Tank and so many others who I've either talked to or, or who I've written about, almost to a person, they will acknowledge that they had a very deep-rooted insecurity about public speaking and they had to work at it. And I think that's what holds people back, Joseph, is they don't understand that it, it's, it, it is a skill. And like any skill, you can get better at it, but you do have to, you have to do it and you can take small steps to improving. You don't have to speak in front of 10,000 people to get over your anxiety. Take some small steps, but it is a skill that can be learned and developed and sharpened. I think Warren Buffett's done okay. I mean, he's all right. You know, he's had a little success. Uh, he must have passed the course. All right. Yeah. So um, let's, let's, uh, who do you think is an effective? I'm not asking you, Carmine, because you write about them all. But let me let me just ask the audience: Who do you think is an effective communicator, and why? Just like a name and like a couple of ideas in the chat. That'd be awesome. We'll we'll jump on that here in a second. Who do you think is an effective communicator, and why? Um, here's sure. the here's I, I really wanted to, I wanted to go in this direction with you because you know it's one thing to talk about a long speech or it's uh, you know writing an article or you know, all these forms of persuasion where we have a little bit more space to unpack it. But we've come mm -hmm. down to a time now where people are reading tweets and they're they're communicating in 280 characters or whatever it might be. Has 
the mechanics of communication changing? I know you talk about setup and confrontation sure. and resolution. <clears throat> you know, maybe you could tell a little bit about this formula, if you will, and what yeah. it means to be effective. And then how does that translate in a world where our attention span is, what was I saying again? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, what, how does this play? Well, look, uh, the, our attention spans haven't changed. The, the, that's the interesting thing is people say, well, now we have the attention span of a goldfish, but actually that's uh, the, there's a lot of problems with that study. So our attention spans technically haven't really changed. We have always enjoyed consuming information that is packaged concisely. That is why the Gettysburg Address has lasted the test of time. And nobody remembers the speaker before Abraham Lincoln who spoke for two hours. And Abraham Lincoln got up there and gave a speech of 272 words. People remember the Gettysburg Address. Uh, so our we've always liked information that's packaged concisely. And 140 characters on Twitter, uh, I, th I think is a, actually a really good exercise. Uh, because think about how hard it is for most business professionals today to uh, to maybe summarize or explain their product or their service in 140 characters. When I give people that exercise and I give executives that exercise all the time, almost no one can do it. It's really hard. But then when they realize, when they work at it and they try to come up with that, see Steve Jobs was already intuitively good at it, 1,000 songs in your pocket. So he already knew this intuitively, that people want a Twitter-friendly summary or catchphrase even before Twitter was established. He already knew this. That was the genius of Steve Jobs. So I, I, I don't think that we're that social media is changing our brain. I just think that it's it's another platform through which we're communicating, but it still doesn't change the fact that books um, are still very are, are growing actually, especially over the uh, the pandemic. They're growing in demand, so people still want the long form. They need that information. They need to see presentations, but they also want it packaged as concisely as possible. And so I think there's I think there's room for both you know conciseness for exploring deeper topics, but as long as you understand how people want their information, how people consume information, I think that's gonna make you more effective. It's interesting, because if I have to omit all of the political leaders that people wanna talk about, because I, I think I personally tend to omit them because, I don't know, I, in my new book, um, Stronger Through Adversity, I chose not to interview any leaders when I was trying to look at leadership skill, any any uh, any governmental yeah. leaders, because I just think there's a layer of that, and I'm not always sure of the intention of the leadership. So if yeah. I admit that, I have one here that I, I you'll not know this person. His name is John Evans, but John Evans is somebody hmm. that I know personally because okay. he actually, he and I worked together on a book called The Art of Wow. Um it, which was uh, actually internal communication book for financial uh, planners. And so this financial planner uh, references a, a colleague that I've worked with. And what I, what he says about it is I think really the key, um, the people that we remember as great communicators are probably the great storytellers. They are. And, and what he said there, and I, and I just, I'm, let me put it back up there, Eric, I don't want to take you down before I get the full concept here. Uh, the relatable story. So it's not just like, that. Hey, let me tell you a story. It's a story yeah. that you can relate to, and, and in some real ways, you probably can tell somebody else, right? Like you can 
share that story. It's 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 capturable. It's your story of Warren Buffett, for example. Yep. Well, I agree with you on on the uh, on politicians. I, I I've actually worked with politicians. Uh, one of whom was on one of the debate stages for the presidential elections. Uh, but I. Uh, Gosh, how can I say this? Uh, they kind of bore me, okay? The political rhetoric is not that interesting to me because I understand what they're doing. And there's a lot of the sin of omission. So if if, if you want me to get, if you tell me who your group is uh, and, and some of their values and their beliefs, I can write a speech that'll give you 10 standing ovations for either side. So to me, that's not that interesting. What's what's more interesting to me, and this is what I focus on, is that really messy middle, that gray area where probably most of the solutions lie, but are really complicated. So I work with a lot of executives and cloud companies and high tech and healthcare and those areas that are extraordinarily complex. How do you convince people of certain ideas? How do you sell these ideas or these products or uh, world-changing innovations that are extraordinarily complex to convey? That to me is much more interesting. Uh, so that's where I focus much of my time. And I think there's an issue of authenticity, right? I mean, if you're yeah. trying to influence people in an inauthentic way, or yeah. in a self-serving way, there's something about that that I don't want to study and I don't want to share manipulation, right? I want to I want to share constructive persuasion. Uh, if if I were going to be in your field, and I'm not a persuasion expert, I, so like, I don't know, what I, like I don't know why I just said what I yeah. said. But what a great I way of there, when it comes to leadership, that's where I am. Yep, I like that word too, the constructive persuasion. I, I yeah, and, and the last politician who I actually write quite a bit about because I've done a lot of studying on it is someone like John F. Kennedy, because Kennedy was a student of writing, of storytelling, and, and communication. And, and so there are a lot of things that we can learn from people like John F. Kennedy, but those are, I think those are a little bit more rare, you know, when we come, when it comes to politics. Uh, right, but sorry, I, I teased yeah. this, this title thing underneath you here, and oh, yes. we never talked about it. I'm so embarrassed. So it, let's do two minutes on this, and then I want to do a lightning round with you. I want to make sure people know not only how to get a hold of you, but why should they? I mean, do they get, are they going to coach with you? Or are they, should they read the book? Are they going to see you at a keynote? We're going to get to that right after you just tell what is set up confrontation and resolution. Uh, I love this set up conf uh, confrontation resolution. That is the three act storytelling structure that all Hollywood movies almost have to follow if they want to be commercially successful. All Hollywood movies do follow a formula. And this goes back thousands of years too, in terms of the early books. There's the setup, which is act one, which is the first 30 minutes of a movie. The next hour is act two, which is the conflict. That is when the villains are introduced and there's hurdles to overcome. And act three is the resolution. Well, great presentations. And I learned this from Steve Jobs and learning about how he developed presentations. Follow the kind of the same narrative structure. There, before you introduce a product or a service, think about the setup. Talk about how your client's situation is at the time. What is the, the state of the world at this time? Then you can introduce problems, hurdles, conflicts, 
And the resolution is how your product, your service, your idea is going to resolve those conflicts and everyone's going to live happily ever after. It's actually a simple three-step formula that movies follow because, getting back to what we've been talking about, this is sort of the way people like to receive their information. And if this is the way Hollywood movie makers structure storytelling, I think it works for presentations as well. And, uh, you know, why not copy from the best? All right. So we set you up by telling the world how fabulous you are and how many millions of books you've written. Uh, then we created the confrontation on the realization that this communication stuff is not all that easy. I mean, really, truly, it requires a knowledge of science and it requires a knowledge of storytelling. And you got to have some Aristotle thrown in and uh, Warren Buffett and Steve Jobs along the way. And uh, so we got the confrontation. Now the resolution. I mean, how do I get better at this? Do I just buy your book and then all is well? Or are there other training tools? I mean, what do you, what do you want to offer the world? Uh, is it the book today? Because uh, I'm, I'm glad to pop any book up here on the screen. Oh, yeah. So please, yeah, please, by all means, uh, follow me. If you can remember a good Italian name like Carmine Gallo, and I think your viewers are probably going to be able to remember Italian names, Joseph. Uh, just you can find me on the internet. You can find me on social media. CarmineGallo.com is the place where everything is sort of kept. So I've got a lot of videos. I have access to all of my books if you're interested. And yes, I'm I'm a speaker. I was traveling a lot more, uh, you know, before uh, the pandemic, and I hope to as well. But also giving a lot of virtual coaching, a lot and speaking on webinars and uh, virtual platforms as well. Uh, I will speak and communicate with anybody around the world who has ideas to share because my mission is not just to write books, but I've been thinking about this a, a lot. You know, what is my passion? What is my mission? It's to help you articulate your ideas so that those ideas actually matter and transform something and, and incite people to change their behavior and, and to trigger action. Uh, so I'm, I'm passionate about ideas and leadership and, and building great leaders. And great leaders are almost inevitably great communicators. Well, and the beauty is if you go to his site and if you were to buy a book there, there are workbooks that come, you know, come along with some of the books that you can purchase on his site as well. And you'll learn more about his speaking. And if you are in a position organizationally where you want to bring in somebody who can help upgrade the communication skills within your organization, uh, certainly Carmine Gallo is available to you via the website. All right. It's lightning round time. We've got three minutes. Are you ready? Sure. All right, I warned you about this. Uh, I'm a, I'm really the, here we go. Any no. reaction, don't get don't go over the top on me. Just give me your best shot here. Oh, I'm the Bellarmine uh, the Bellarmine College Prep Bells, is that really the Bells? Yeah, that's my high school. Yes, we are called the Bellarmine Bells. Is there a problem with that? It's an all boys school called the <laughs> Bells. Yeah. All right, well, just saying. I wanted a reaction, and that's uh, okay. Uh, Francesco and Giuseppina. <laughs> Those are my parents, yes. Francesco Gallo and Giuseppina Gallo. And my name in Italian, which no American can pronounce, is Carmine Gallo. Carmine but Gallo. People call me Carmine because it's easier, yes. Yeah, wow. So tell me about them, the, the mama and dad. I know dad has kind of an interesting story. Yeah, da uh, dad was a uh, prisoner of war for five years in World War II. And so uh, uh, when they came to America, uh, 
everything was great. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I, he, he passed away about 10 years ago, but I think during the pandemic, he'd still be looking at the positive, the silver lining, because anything's better than being in a concentration camp for five years. Uh, so I, I, I got a lot of my optimism from him, but I, I'm so grateful and proud of my parents for, you know, uh, making that transition to America and coming over with $20 in their pocket and eventually building a, a nice middle-class life for their, uh, for their family. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and got you a, a decent enough education and on you went, uh, Vanessa. Vanessa Gallo. Yes, she is. She is my wife of more than 20 years now. Um, and, uh, she helps edit my books. She gave me the motivation, uh, and really the persuasion to leave a full-time job. And I've written about this. I was making, why, why was I was making so... six figures at a VP as a VP. I was doing really well, but, but she why? knew my path. Why did she say that? Life. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who, who would have said she has all that security associated with your your economic power within that job? Why did she push you in the slipstream? Go out into the street, Carmina. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, thank you know. Thankfully, she she is like me. We actually run our business together, um, and she has that entrepreneurial mindset. So she's actually someone. I, I think an entrepreneur, someone who starts their own business, kind of needs that push because it's so hard and we have so much self-doubt that you need to be surrounded by somebody who believes in you and pushes you and takes those risks. Uh, so she told me when, when we had a new mortgage and a baby on the way um, and a six-figure income with benefits, she said, well, quit that job and start writing this book because I believe in the book. This was Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs and put your focus there. And this was at a time where I didn't know if it was going to sell. I, I, had, I had no idea if 10 people were going to buy it. And I think I had one project for $1,200 in the pipeline. That was it. Uh, and so we went from six figures to zero. Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs became an international bestseller. And it, it triggered another 10 books after that. So yeah, thank you, Vanessa. Well, what a wonderful story and a fabulous human being. It is my honor to have spent time with this good Italian boy. Um, and I am grateful for all of your writings. I look forward to each book as they come out. So thank you for being with me today. You see his website prominently splashed across the screen. Check out Carmine Gallo and uh, become a more effective communicator. Thanks so much for being there, Carmine. For the rest of you who are still hanging on really quickly, just wanna let you know some upcoming guests on the show. I had a slide for this, but somehow or another, I've gotten so excited about talking to Carmine, I don't even know where I put the, the, the slide. Let me tell you some of the folks that are coming up just because I, I know that they're coming up. Martin Lindstrom's got his new book out. Uh, and if you don't know Martin's work, he's amazing at sensory branding. So we will have him. Sarah Anderson has this crazy book out, something Carmine might even be interested in, about reducing the space between us and how do we communicate in ways that allow us to talk about very controversially different things without just shutting other people down. How do we get clear on what is our what's a fact and what's our opinion or what's, you know, what's, what's something we know a limited amount about, but we somehow still grab onto as if it, and use it as a weapon. She's a powerful uh, speaker and, and knowledge source when it comes to how do we, 
have civil discourse. So we're gonna have her on in the very new, near future. Bob Berg, the go-giver, is gonna be on a lot about how to do good and do well in the world around us. So those are some of the guests coming up. I can't wait to uh, engage them. So, so much an honor to have with Carmine Gallon. If you happen to share this presentation today with someone on LinkedIn, maybe you, you do a share or on Facebook, let me know and we'll pick somebody who's done that this week and I'll send you a copy of my recently released book, Stronger Through Adversity. Thank you all, have a great day.